we'll start with prayer and then I'm going to tell you where kind of where we're headed and what um, maybe outline the next few few weeks <clears throat> father in heaven thank you for the day thank you for being good to us you are a blessing lord to us every day your ways are good and kind and faithful and true and so we're we're grateful to be able to be here this evening and i pray you'd bless everything that goes on in this building tonight for the good of hearts in jesus name amen now here's what i want to do um we got <clears throat> we've kind of started out with a wide <clears throat> a wide lens looking at pagan religions that were encountered in scripture you've got all the gods of egypt um, you have the Greek gods, you have the Roman gods, um, <clears throat> and in each case, we find in Scripture the either the Hebrews, you know, the Old Testament, the Jews, uh, and Christianity encountering those religions, and in some cases, being somewhat, um, I would use the word infected <laughs> by some of those religions to the point that uh, heresies developed and so forth. And so um, these were, they're not um, heavily impacting Judaism and, and Christianity, but nevertheless, um, we need to know a little about them. Th so we're done with that. Um, and then what I thought we would do is moving away from pagan um, religions look at the early church and we're not going to redo a church history thing but i want to do tonight roman the roman catholicism which we have to do a little bit of history but look at roman catholicism then um the orthodox eastern orthodox the eastern church that went away from uh pulled out from the Catholic Church, um, and a little bit about the Orthodox. I think that um, probably most of us know the least about the Orthodox. Um, and so we'll try to explain some things there. There was a long time of, of kind of a very gradual separating between the Eastern Church and the Western Church, which we were a part of the Western Church. Um, which morphed into Roman Catholicism. Then you had Eastern Orthodox, and you have a lot in, the Eastern Orthodox were completely different as far as their hierarchy, and you had patriarchs for each country or leader. So that's why you have Syrian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Bulgaria Russian. And so anyway, we'll look at all that. And that couple of the uh, doctrinal issues that caused them to, um, split um, <clears throat> then look at Protestantism there's three mainstreams in Christianity that's uh, Roman Catholicism Eastern Orthodox Protestantism then narrow down to Protestantism and uh, not take a lot of time but look at what do different Protestant churches uh, believe we've got uh, a million of them but We'll try to narrow down. Really, you probably have three or four doctrinal streams 
that encompass those hundreds of denominations. So to look at them in doctrinal terms is the only way you could. Um, and then we'll move to what are technically known as Christian cults. Now, it doesn't mean that they're remotely Christian, okay? But they are a split off of Christians. They are pretend claiming to be Christian, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and so forth. They claim to have new and better um, interpretations of Christianity. Um, and I don't know how we'll get that. We may not get done for Christmas, but I don't know. We'll see. So anyway, <clears throat> here's what I'd like to do. And um, nobody, nobody that says anything, please believe me, nobody that says anything, asks a question or anything else, is stupid, okay? Not, there are no dumb questions or whatever. Um, unless, you know, <laughs> we tell you it is. Um, what do you, and so here's the question I want to ask you. As some of you here may have been raised Catholic, you're now in small e, evangelical Protestantism. Um, some um, maybe have never set foot inside a Catholic church, have no idea, uh, or have incorrect ideas about what they believe, what they don't believe, and what they teach, and so forth. So let me just open it up. Tell me what you think you know about what Catholics teach about certain things, what doctrines and so forth. Um, and again, I don't, they're not, nothing's dumb that you're going to say. Okay? Maybe. So, who wants to start? Dan. Okay, the uh, question is, where in the Bible does it say there is, should be a pope in charge of everything? Um, the, the Protestant contention, the Eastern Orthodox contention, is there isn't. Um, so that would be, uh, that would be an alternative uh, view. Yeah. You mean the, te the, the teaching of catechism? Um, the teaching of catechism um, would have started, you know, we've we got so much tonight, we'll never make it. But, but, first of all, you don't even have what we can rightly historically call the Roman Catholic Church until about 600 A.D., okay? Well, so what went on in the 500 or 600 years? Um, um, very meticulous um, catechisms, outlines of uh, the major doctrines of Christianity were well established. Um, in that 600 years, um, and, and I can't, we just can't get off into all of it, but you have all kinds of uh, Christological heresies. Was Jesus truly God? Was he truly man? How, did, how, how do you have two, um, how do you have the incarnation? Um, 
there were all kinds of Trinitarian arguments, church councils. And we think of a church council, okay, they got together for Sunday afternoon and they figured it out. Councils would often last two, three, four, five, as long as 15 years. Now they went home once in a while, but they'd come back and the council considered it went from like 380 to 402 or whatever before they hashed out issues. So there were major, the, the decision on what books went into the New Testament. That took, at the bare minimum, the first 150 years of the church. And it, in some cases, wasn't settled till even later than that. So um, the truth of the matter is, I think, um, and we'll, we'll talk about the details of the uh, catechism, but catechism as you know, a term um, and as a teaching is in lots of denominations, Lutherans, um, Catechism, Presbyterian, uh, Methodist, whatever. Most mainline churches that are now have drifted more liberal um, have catechism. Most um, evangelical Protestants, many don't, which is a travesty. Okay, the 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 Protestants. Um, I say I would say the group of Protestants that are the most biblically and doctrinally illiterate are mostly evangelicals. We emphasize correctly an experience of Jesus entering your heart, the new birth. We have to, obviously, but we're, we sh- we fall short on teaching clear doctrine. So therefore, um, it's like you've probably all, you've heard this illustration of trainees to be bankers or tellers. Um, you know, they, they show you what counterfeits look like. No, they don't. They don't show you what counterfeits look like. They only show you what the real deal looks like. And they show it to you every day over and over and over and over through your whole orientation so that then you recognize like that, counterfeit. We don't do that as well in, in evangelicalism that a lot of the mainline and, and Catholics do. And so that's, that's not good. Um, maybe just to jump ahead from that that question is um, most most of the churches that have a clear doctrinal code and teach it as catechism um, it is it's a um, requirement prerequisite for what follows catechism and that is um, either first communion or confirmation um, it's you're you're not confirmed you're not maybe taken in as a member or whatever it would be called until you know what we believe and have some um, enough awareness that you can um, explain it defend it so forth okay other 
things you th about what you think the Catholics teach. Yeah. 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 In a minute, um, I'll make all that clear. <laughs> Other. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not going to do a lot of history, but there's a massive, obviously, amount of history. The Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, is essentially the foundation on which all of Western civilization is built. Okay? Now, maybe I should broaden it to Christianity, but... Um, the Catholic Church, and the word Catholic simply means universal. Okay, that's all it means. Um, when we, whenever we uh, go through the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Well, that's in newer rituals. That's been kind of updated to say the universal church because there were, you know, there were Protestants that would just gasp and their eyes roll back in their head. We're not Catholics. Um, it just means universal. Okay, that's all it means. Um, <clears throat> so there's nothing wrong at all with that word. Um, the Catholic Church is, how can I put this? The Catholic Church is the original church. The early church um, became, around 600 with Pope Gregory, the, the Roman Catholic Church, because it was Rome, okay? Um, the Catholic Church, I've had people ask me, um, you know, is, aren't the Catholics a cult? Absolutely not, okay? Now, I'm not a Catholic, and there are reasons I'm not, and there are places where I believe that they have departed from Scripture. But I think we can say this. Um, there are no um, essential Christian doctrines that Roman Catholicism denies. Okay? Now, the problem, if there's a problem, between Protestants, Catholics, whatever, isn't that the Catholics have, have canceled something or, or denounced it. It's all the stuff they've added on top of it. Now, if you take one of these days, eventually we'll get to, say, Mormons. There's not a single doctrine of Orthodox Christianity that they don't deny. They believe in nothing that we believe. The Trinity, deity of Christ, virgin birth, they don't believe in any of it, okay? That's pretty easy to deal with. The, the issue with Catholicism, and it's unique to Catholicism, 
um, is not the doctrines that they deny. As far, if I sat down across, you know, from a good devout Catholic, um, we agree utterly on the Trinity. We believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the virgin birth. Um, we believe in the atonement. We believe in the uh, um, resurrection, the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus and three days later the resurrection and the ascended on high. Um, we believe in a future life. We believe in heaven. We believe in hell. We don't buy purgatory. But that you, you're hard-pressed to find a doctrine um, that we would consider essential Christianity that we're not in concert with. Um, now, it, again, it's the other stuff. Okay? It's the addition of the notion of an infallible pope. Eastern Orthodox, that's one of the reasons Eastern Orthodox broke off. They do not believe there's any place in Scripture for a, a, not only a, a single leader um, who, who is referred to as the vicar of Christ, which means the earthly representative of Jesus. Not one man does that. Jesus is pretty able to represent himself. Um, and he does it through the Holy Spirit. Okay, That's how Christ is in the world. But um, that was a major doctrine that Eastern Orthodox walked away from Roman Catholic was the papacy, okay? Um, so there is a lot, there's a lot that we agree with. It's the additional stuff that, that um, is what puts a division between us. A second thing I would say um, and please don't think that I've, next thing, next Sunday I'm going to have a rainbow flag and I've really gone liberal. Um, there will be Catholics in heaven, okay? I have met some. I've met hospital chaplains. I remember praying with an elderly woman in one of my congregations, and the chaplain was a nun. She came in, and let me put it this way. I believe there is clearly of the Holy Spirit, there is a connection when you're in the presence of and communicating with and visiting with and praying with somebody else in whose heart Jesus resides. You just, there's a fellowship there that is discernible, okay? Um, interesting both Stephen and Jonathan my sons when they got PhDs Jonathan and Marquette Stephen at Notre Dame um, they were treated in those kinds of places um, as evangelical Protestants they were treated immensely better and respectful and had things in common than if they'd gone to a Methodist uh, a Methodist church or or unfortunately a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or whatever um, that are into you know American Indian hymns and all kinds of craziness um, so I'm not either saying you know that if you're a Catholic you're a goner I grew up in the 50s when um, you know 
you'd ride your bike past the Catholic Church and you'd pedal extra fast because, you know, you didn't want something to get you, you know. Um, so, um, again, I'm not a Catholic. I'm not going to become a Catholic. There's some good reasons I'm not a Catholic. But um, there are, I would put it this way, in spite of some of the barnacles that the Catholic Church has added to biblical doctrines, um, there, I've met uh, Catholics who I know are going to make it to heaven. Now, um, the Catholic Church is interesting because they, if you could say anything about the Catholic Church in its history, very slow evolution of thinking, of doctrines, and so forth. And they have, if you were to ask a thoroughgoing evangelical Protestant what our source of authority is, we'd say one word, Scripture. Okay? A Catholic, a devout priest or whoever is going to say, Scripture as interpreted by the church and tradition, okay? Here's how tradition works. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, tradition ends up trumping scripture. That's why you have purgatory, you have the pope, you have penance, you have some of these things that we'll look at that um, are not biblical, but they're traditional. They've been practiced for 1,500 years. And so because either popes or church councils, and, that, and church councils figure heavily into Catholic doctrine. When I talk about church councils, I'm talking about what they call ecumenical councils, where the church gathered, the bishops and everybody else, and settled these great doctrinal issues of the deity of Christ, the incarnation, and all that kind of stuff. Okay? Um, and there, there is a long practices began. They were sanctioned by somebody, maybe a local bishop. Yeah, that's, that's okay. You, you, we should do that. For instance, veneration of saints and martyrs. That began very early. In the very first centuries of the early church, all the persecution, there were a lot of people that were martyrs. They were venerated. They were, they were after a while, monuments were built to them. Um, and they were, um, well, venerated is the best word. They were basically, not worshipped, but they were just held in terrific high esteem as martyrs. Okay? That began to grow. It also began to grow uh, with the exaltation of Mary. It wasn't until the threes, the four hundreds, till the phrase mother of God started showing up. Now that's not anywhere in the Bible. Um, and then I'll throw in another doctrine. The immaculate um, conception of Mary. That's the teaching that Mary 
couldn't have been inherited a sinful nature and carried the Son of God. So not only was Jesus born, not, of course, he was born of the Spirit. He did not have a sinful nature, but neither did Mary. Now, there's no place in the Bible that teaches that. In fact, Mary is listed among the disciples waiting in the upper room for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in which the sinful nature, Peter said, was cleansed from their hearts. Do you get that? There's no such thing as the immaculate conception of Mary. Uh, it would mean she didn't need a redeemer. She did. Now, that notion can be found, and the exaltation of Mary can be found in the threes, in the four hundreds. And because it was carried on as a tradition, then it, it picked up its own, uh, it verified itself. Because we do this, it must be right, not the other way around. Now, so by the four, five, sixes, we're exalting Mary, um, and she is beginning to be called co-redemptress. And you might think, well, I never heard of that. John Paul II, she was his patron saint. John Paul II, of recent memory, called her co-redeematrix, the Latin, elevating her nearly equal with Jesus. Now, that doctrine has been in the Catholic Church for centuries. You want to know when it became official? 1835. That's what I'm talking about. Tradition, because it's always practiced, then, then a council declares it to be true, and then it's dogma, then it's, then it's doctrine, it's true. So tradition, unfortunately, and listen, you can do that in any organization. Um, we've, we've always done it this way, it must be right. Um, so that's just one example of the tradition of the church for... Well, from about the six, seven hundreds, the Pope was considered infallible. Now, when, uh, when I say that, I, need, I want to be very fair there. That doesn't mean if the Pope says, I want new carpet in the St. Peter Basilica and I want it red. He's not infallible saying that and they don't claim that. But when it comes to doctrinal issues, questions that arise, most recently, the church, Catholic Church, as well as a number of others, are embroiled in this whole uh, gay uh, marriage and uh, gay preachers and all this stuff, or priests. And in those kinds of situations, abortion, things like this, when the Pope speaks um, on a doctrine, it's called ex cathedra, out from the seat of his authority the cathedral, then he's infallible. Um, Pope, what? 
Pius VI or something who was just, let's see, I think he was before, he was before John XXIII who had the um, Vatican II, which was in the 60s. That's a big council where they left Latin and went to English and, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, the Pope has been treated as and considered infallible on doctrinal matters since um, for a thousand years. Do you know when that was made official? 1870. They never declared that a truth until 1870. The point I'm making is it's a, it's a massive church. It's a massive group of people. It's the biggest wing of Christianity as far as numbers. And things move at a snail's pace. And, um, but traditions then become equal, if not in reality, supersede scripture so the truth of the matter is sola scriptura only scripture that was the theme of the protestants in the reformation luther specifically really isn't the position Um, the church in a sense is the authority in catholicism not the scripture okay now We'll never make it if I don't get going here. Um, Here's, um, let me just throw in a bunch of doctrines here that Eastern Orthodox and Protestantism find um, or take the position that they, they are not found in Scripture. Now, in, uh, don't think I'm a heretic here. In some cases of issues that aren't essential to salvation, you, know, you can have some practices in your worship and so forth that may not be found in Scripture someplace, but they're not harmful. I mean, it, you know, it's societal, okay? Um, <clears throat> now, anyway, veneration of saints and martyrs, which led to and in one sense, maybe that's not the worst thing in the whole world, but what it led to is the formal doctrine of the intercession of saints so that we pray to the saints. The saints have an in because they were martyred or whatever. They are special um, and they have, I guess, their foot in the door with God. Okay, and so they, and, and then as that developed through the centuries, it became parceled out. You have the St. Christopher that used to be on the dashboard of your car. Um, you have, oh, I forget who is, what saint helps you find lost stuff. Um, anybody know what that is? St. Anthony. Anthony? I'm not sure. Um, Pardon me? Yeah. But um, at any rate, the idea that we can pray to people who have left this world, they're not dead, they're alive. Everybody who ever lived is living, but beyond, it's like David said, 
he said to, on the death of one of his sons, I will go to him, but he can't come to me. There's not awareness of what's going on. And um, that took centuries to develop. And now it is a, it is a highly complex thing of the saints uh, interceding for uh, people here. I've already mentioned the veneration of Mary and um, that she's of course well above saints um, and you know has some ability to intercede with Jesus himself. Um, again, not in scripture. Um, <clears throat> salvation is by baptism. Usually, of course nowadays, but there are um, some adult baptism, but generally um, the first century or two, first generation or two, all the baptisms were adult. I mean, you know, um, that's who was coming into the church. But owing to the circumcision of Jewish infant boys at eight days old, introducing them into the covenant of Abraham, it was a natural thing for especially Jewish Christians to baptize their children. And so the vast majority um, are saved. And the word is an indelible imprint is the, the Catholic phrase on that doctrine of infant baptism. Okay, Now, I have no quarrel with infant baptism. Um, uh, we, 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 it, it's not an essential matter, but um, we we will do both, dedication or um, baptism, depending on people's backgrounds and so forth. Um, it's merely a symbol has to do with that child, as the ritual says, uh, being innocent and beneath the lower uh, lower than the age of accountability is innocent and is therefore worthy subject to be. Um, um, entered into the covenant of Christ in baptism. So I don't have any problem with that. Um, it's that it supposedly saves you and is indelible. Okay? Um, that you, in other words, your, your ticket's punched. Um, <clears throat> now, confirmation. Here's another one that many Protestant churches practice, but the meaning with Catholicism is somewhat different, not radically. Um, but it is where both Catholic and, and Protestant mainline churches treat confirmation as the um, ritual imparting the fullness of the Holy Spirit to you. So it's Pentecost. It's, it's the um, infilling of the Spirit. Now, the Catholic doctrine is very clear that at that point is when and they cite Pentecost, and they cite some scriptures and acts, that this is when the Holy Spirit is received. Um, it's usually 12 years or age or whatever, if you're born, you know, come up through as a child, the Catholic Church. Um, and the Anglicans, Church of England practice it, Methodists practice it, Presbyterians, there's a lot of denominations that have both infant baptism and then confirmation. Um, the thing about the Catholic Church that is different than, say, the Methodist, the Church of England, and so forth, is 
it only can be administered by a bishop, not a local priest, generally. The reason for that, in their thinking, and they go to scripture for this, Acts um, 8, where the um, people, it says the Samaritans, on the preaching of Philip, who was one of the seven deacons chosen, um, he went to Samaria, preached, and there was a great revival. Many people found God. They were baptized. And then it says this. It says they were baptized, um, believed on Christ, but it says the Holy Spirit had fallen upon none of them yet. They were only, doesn't mean demeaning it, but they were only baptized in the name of Christ, okay? Hearing that, it said the church in Jerusalem, the apostles, sent John and Peter down to them, it says, to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter and John you know, laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit was poured out into their hearts, and that's when the guy... Simon the sorcerer offered him money and said, hey, you know, I'll pay enough for that power. And Peter told him off and, um, you know, basically said, you're going to hell if you don't <laughs> repent. And he was scared to death. Um, but from that, we learn, it's, that's biblical. It's somewhat mysterious, but only the apostles apparently had the power or the grace not of their own, through God, to lay hands on someone and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, I do not believe that that any longer exists past the apostolic age. But the Catholics then say only a bishop. Now, why do they say only a bishop? Catholicism also believes in another doctrine that... Um, um, Eastern Orthodox doesn't, Protestants don't. It's called apostolic succession, meaning you can't really prove it. And I suppose there could be some cases where it is true, but meaning that Peter laid his hand on Mark was a, a prodigy of Peter, okay? Peter ordained Mark. Mark ordained whoever. Whoever ordained somebody else. Uh, somebody else. Somebody else. Centuries go by. And every ordinand has, could be traced back to an apostle's hand. So that is transferred down through, through apostolic succession. Therefore, in the place, as it were, but in the heritage of an apostle, only a bishop can conduct confirmation, make the sign of the cross with oil, um, and then they, this person is believed is receive, receives the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now we believe the Holy Spirit is received by faith. Okay. Um, it's individual, same as being born again. Um, you can be baptized and and you can get just sloppy wet, and you aren't remotely saved. Okay. It's by faith. I'm not opposed to baptism, not opposed to confirmation, all that, those things. However, we're saved by personal faith, okay? Um, so the apostolic succession is um, <clears throat> a doctrine that is peculiar just to Catholicism. 
Um, they believe, of course, that the church was founded upon Peter, that when Jesus said, Thou art Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, um, that that signified that Peter was the rock upon which the whole church was built, which is not at all what Jesus was talking about there. He said, Who do people say I am? Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That doctrine is the rock on which the church is built, not Peter. Jesus said, you've spoken well. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my Father, on this rock. And by the way, not to get into the language too much, but the word for Peter is pebble. The word for um, on this rock is a, um, a Gibraltar boulder. Okay, He isn't even talking about the same thing for the word for Peter. Um, nevertheless, so it's on the doctrine that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what the cornerstone is of the church, not the man apostle Peter. Okay? Um, but nevertheless, the belief is that Peter and, and then Paul, both who, uh, who were traditionally believed to have been martyred uh, in Rome, are the foundation of the church. So that's why even today, I can remember back, I can't remember who it was, um, which pope passed away, and um, the um, service, or whatever you would call it, was on the news. Well, they went through a lot of it. There's a, there's a, you know, the, the Pope, this Pope was, you know, lying there in state. The cross, well, there was a big key. Well, that's the keys of the kingdom that Jesus said. It's not literal, but nevertheless. And then they, the, the camera went to his feet, and there were these kind of, not bad looking, but kind of strange looking black shoes. And they're supposedly fisherman shoes. Peter was a fisherman, okay? All that kind of um, tradition, I guess you'd say, um, is a part of the, the papacy, okay? Now, here's a more major one. Um, There was, in the threes and the fours, big arguments over the sacraments. And the arguments were, unfortunately, by the way, and this isn't against the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church wasn't really called the Catholic Church yet. Nothing stays pure. And within, by the 200s, there were many um, early church fathers who were bemoaning corruption in the church. And as persecution began to die out, the church began to get more popular, people flooded into it. The, the, um, you know, especially the bishops and so forth um, had prominence. Um, many people, wealthy people would dedicate property to them and so the church began to get accepted which is the worst thing that ever happened to it um, it got it became socially respectable okay but um, as the church began to get corrupt there of course rose people against it and crying out against it and something started then that worked its way into becoming the monastic system, the monasteries. 
the belief was that the only way you're going to keep the church clean and clear is to go live in a cave somewhere. And so that was a huge push. That really picked up steam. And there were people called ascetics. And the ascetics were people who believed, um, some of them, I mean, there, there's endless stories. Some of them would, they would abandon everything. They'd abandon their families. Um, they would leave the city. They would go live in a um, cave or something somewhere. Um, some of them ate nothing but grass and bugs. Um, some of them, there was, there was a group, um, what did they call them? There was a specific name for it. But they lived on the top of pillars. And the reason they lived on the top of pillars is because they were so... Uh, looked up to as holy men that people would trek clear out in the desert to sit at their feet and learn something about you know scripture or whatever else and so they didn't like the attention so there was a guy who spent 35 years can't remember he's one of the early ascetics 35 years on a pillar he put up and his disciples you know they'd rope up food and whatever to him and he was in the Egyptian Sahara or Saudi you know desert and he lived up there 35 years okay there was all kinds of just um and punishment of your own body um some some of them not a huge number but some of them one very very famous early church father by the name of origin um wrote a lot of commentaries on scripture and had a big impact on eastern church nevertheless he was one of a fair number who castrated themselves because they, you know, um, this is the best way to resist temptation. Um, so that gave rise then um, <clears throat> to that whole movement um, gave rise then to um, almost a fanatic wing. Um, in the middle of all that, <clears throat> they came up, began to elevate the sacraments. Okay, now, we're not opposed to sacraments, but another difference is Roman Catholicism has seven sacraments. Uh, the rest of Christ Christianity has two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, added in Catholicism, uh, not only was, here, here's the other five that um, were, were added. <clears throat> um, let me see here, where are they? Baptism, of course, is saving. Now, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion. Critical thing here was not just the ritual itself, but what the Roman Catholic Church finally came to, and it was, again, a long process, but it's called transubstantiation. It means that when the priest blesses and prays over the bread and the wine, it literally becomes, not figuratively, not, symbol not symbolically, literally it becomes the body and the actual blood of Jesus. Okay? So you are partaking of the body um, and the blood of Jesus, which is your spiritual life. 
also somewhat later um, was added the idea of excommunication. Excommunication is to cut you off from communion. If you're cut off from communion, which is literally eating the body and blood of Jesus, you lose heaven. I mean, you're, you're damned, okay? Um, that then, the sacraments took on significance of their own. Now, let me explain it this way. Back to the people that were trying to cleanse the church. A big ruckus erupted called the Donatist. You don't have to write all this down. Um, controversy. But the Donatists were, they believed that if the bishop or the priest, the local pastor, who was um, officiating and was giving you the, the cup and the bread, if he personally was a fake or was a hypocrite or, you know, whatever, he was no good, then even though you took it, it had no effect on you at all because the officiant, the, the priest, was himself polluted, and so it canceled. That canceled the efficacy of the sacrament. Okay? The doctrine then developed that the sacrament, the power, the grace, rested in the sacrament itself so that two things. Who administers it doesn't matter. Okay? Now, Technically, I don't have any problem agreeing with that. Um, as long as the recipient receives by faith and trust in Christ, I don't care, you know, I mean, I don't want the guy to be drunk or be high, but so what if he's not a decent guy? It's faith in my heart in what that represents that matters. But the emphasis shifted then not to the faith of the recipient, but the power and the sacrament itself. So, if the officiant was a crook, and if the recipient was no good, it didn't matter. The sacrament did its work. Now, this is an extreme example, but it's fact, it's history, it happened. Um, Loyola, wait, who was it? I can't remember. Anyway, who started the Jesuits? He would, on the basis of the fact that the holy water that had been prayed over by the bishop or the priest or whoever, it took on a saving power of itself. Okay? So he would go through the marketplace with holy water and sp sprinkle it on totally unsuspecting people that are looking at tomatoes or whatever, and being asked what he was doing, he said, I'm making Christians. Makes perfect sense if you believe that the sacrament itself is where all grace resides. Okay? Um, that's why if you're cut off from communion, you're done. Now, the other sacraments, <clears throat> holy orders, which is, you know, becoming ordained, 
That's considered a sacrament. Penance, which has recently, and when I say recently, probably the last century, been updated to, to the word reconciliation. But penance, this is another one that... Um, Penance, and I think Protestants sometimes misunderstand and, and probably misstate what penance is. People think penance is um, earning forgiveness for my sins. Um, that's not exactly correct. Roman Catholicism teaches, and on this point, I believe that they're totally biblical. There's, they've come, come up with terms, that's okay. Mortal sin, venial sin. Everybody, anybody ever heard of those? Okay, I think that is nothing but what St. John was talking about when he said, if you see your brother sin a sin which is not unto death, is not egregious enough to f- sever my relationship with God. You pray for that brother and God will give him life. That's a venial sin. That's an infirmity. That's a mistake. It's a failing. It's a shortcoming. Okay? Um, but it's not a willful, deliberate, defying, defiant sin. Mortal sin is that kind of sin. Now, there's a certain list, too. There's the seven deadly sins and so forth. Um, which God, I think, has a longer list than those seven. But mortal sin. So they, they recognize a, divi- a, a different kind, a division in acts of sin. And I think that's completely biblical. Okay? But the penance then is not for mortal sin. Penance is um, assigned having to do with the temporal punishment you should deserve for venial sins. Did everybody sort of get that? So that's why then if you go to confession and you've, you're telling um, venial sins, you know, I didn't read as much as I should, I didn't say this, I, did, I missed the last three months of church, or whatever, it might be then the priest assigns to you what he determines you need to do to atone yourself for the temporal punishment that you ought to get for venial sins. Okay, So way back there, it would have been you wear a hair shirt for a month um, or you know, who knows whatever. Maybe money. Often it's not money. The, for more serious things, it could be some pilgrimage to the next town where, as Martin Luther, monk in Germany said, in Germany alone, he said, we have the graves of 18 of the original 12 disciples. Um, relics were everywhere, everywhere. There were boxcar loads of nails that were used on the cross, okay? And you made a pilgrimage to those. Really big deal was, if you were close enough, you made a pilgrimage to Rome many centuries later. But um, you did penance, whatever the assigned. You say so many, whole, uh, you know, our fathers, you say so many, um, whatever, okay? 
They'd make some assignment. That Eastern Orthodox Protestantism um, never adopted. Um, but that's considered a sacrament. Today it's called reconciliation. Um, then confirmation is considered a sacrament. The anointing of the sick and last rites is kind of the same thing. That's considered a sacrament. It meaning it has um, grace that is conveyed to the recipient. Okay. Um, then finally, marriage is a sacrament. That's why then as recently as um, in the 70s, 1970s, Pope, can't remember, um, reaffirmed marriage is a sacrament, meaning, since it's a sacrament, no divorce. Now, annulment can be had 10 years after, you know, you got married, um, which is, doesn't compute. Um, but it can, it basically, it's, this was an illegitimate marriage to start with because maybe it was with a Protestant. Maybe it was with an unbelieving Catholic or, or a Catholic who's been um, not communicating. In other words, with going to services, taking the Eucharist. Um, bunch of reasons. But anyway, marriage is a sacrament. Um, only um, you can be, you, if you have an annulment, it used to be, that's has been loosened up some, it used to be that you, no remarriage was possible. But in the last hundred years or so, that's been loosened. There's another whole bunch of lessons that you wouldn't like, and I don't want to prepare. The American Catholic Church. If I was the Pope, the American Catholic Church would drive me crazy. Um, because the American, American Catholic Church are like Americans are. Don't tell me what to do. So the most, the most um, rebellious, non-compliant bunch in Catholicism generally um, is America. Except I would say this. I get, an article, I, I get a thing that's uh, a, a magazine. Um, monthly, I think it is. It's called First Things. It's by real conservative Catholics, devout Catholics, okay? And obviously, I don't really agree with everything, but it's an amazing magazine. And they'll, boy, they'll whack into the Pope for not being hard line on homosexuality and some of the stuff that he's wishy-washy on. Um, but... There's a big ruckus going on in the Roman Catholic Church right now with the Germans. And I don't know what the story is there. Why they, but they have just defied the Pope to his face. And they have a couple of cardinals and whoever. They are ordaining homosexual priests. They are um, having same-sex marriages, um, all that kind of stuff. And the complaint of a lot of people is either Pope Francis um, is old and weak and tired and whatever, or he's too much of a peacemaker, but there's cries arising from devout Catholics, excommunicate him, because German Catholic has just gone nuts. Um, but anyway, um, I don't know how we got off on that. Um, 
going on here. Here's a couple. No divorce, I already mentioned that. No contraception. That has been, surprisingly, doubled down on um, in the last 20 years. Um, Ratzinger, not, uh, yeah, uh, St. Benedict, uh, Pope Benedict, who resigned. Didn't he? He recently died, I think. But at any rate, he resigned, which is real rare, um, and made way then for Francis, who's the current pope. Um, but he was real conservative, and um, you know, to the traditional Catholic beliefs, doubled down on a lot of those things, which I think he probably got hounded out um, because he was too conservative for a lot of the. This is another whole. Well, it's not a whole story. But we need to know that maybe we don't need to know this. Pope Francis is the first um, South American Jesuit ever made Pope. Okay? Now, South American and some other places, but heavily in South America, the Jesuits were into what's called liberation theology. And it was nothing but politics. And it it was, you ever heard of the, of the um, Shining Path? That was a Chinese import into South America and some other um, groups that were Marxists. Well, Francis is kind of out of that background. And, you know, he, about homosexuality, not too long ago, he said, well, who am I to judge? Look, if you're the Pope, and you know what Catholic doctrine is, what do you mean, who am I to judge? If you're really infallible, <laughs> make a statement. Um, there's a lot then of what I would consider, you know, good, faithful, believing, devout uh, Catholic professors, Catholic university people that are very troubled about the weak hand um, that the current pope has had in keeping the rules, okay? Um, infallibility pope, I already mentioned that. That's a doctrine, obviously, that the Protestants didn't accept, Eastern Orthodox didn't accept. Um, I also mentioned, yeah, we already covered Immaculate Conception of Mary. Uh, nobody has bought this. Um, then, uh, let's see, there's a couple, let me see how many more I've got here. There's just a couple left. There's something called the Treasury of Merit, okay? The, I don't, and I'll be honest with you, in real modern Catholicism, it's still a doctrine. I don't know how much they practice it, but the Treasury of Merit is that not only Jesus, but all of the saints who were martyred and so forth, past popes, whoever, um, had they earned more merit by their life of godliness. Now, that's not a biblical concept. Paul said, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's of grace. Um, so the idea of merit itself is not biblical. But, and, and this is a too simplistic, so... Um, Leave me alone about it. <laughs> I just got to make a simple, and I've probably given this to you before, but, um, you know, 
Phil McMahill's a good Catholic, and he's go. You know, he's he's good. He does all everything, and it takes a thousand points to get to heaven. Merit merit points, and he's got twelve hundred. Okay. Well, the extra two hundred goes into a treasury of merit, and that is administered by the the church through the Pope. Okay. Now Dan Barks. He he. You need a thousand. <laughs> he's in trouble. Um, I don't know exactly, and I'm not sure, but somehow, probably if Mary gave enough, you know, to St. Peter's Basilica or something, you could get applied through the church from the treasury of merit, the shortfall. If you need, you, you need a thousand, you got 800, you can get credited with 200 and you make it, okay? Um, can't go into all that except to say that's that bled into Protestantism and I'll maybe we'll look at that some other time but um, that notion bled in only though not the saints but Jesus the Jesus merit is credited to me so that I'm not really made different my heart's not radically renovated in in conversion God just looks at me as, and takes credit of what Jesus' perfect obedience was, attributes to my bank account, and looks at me as righteous. I'm not really righteous, but he treats me as I am. Okay? Anyway. Um, indulgences, and that's another one that I think, indulgences, I think, was gotten rid of in what's called the Catholic Counter-Reformation. When the Lutheran, when Luther broke away in the 1500s, and then England, Switzerland, Finland, Scandinavian countries, where all over the place, um, they had national reformations. That's because back then every church, every country had a state church. So, if the French decided to be Protestants, if the po- if the king of France decided or the king of England um, you guys just became Protestants <laughs> okay um, anyway um, the church was corrupt enough by the 1500s that the Catholic church itself freely admitted we've gotten too powerful too rich and the, the church by the way the Roman Empire fell completely, finally, in 451. For, you know who went out to um, negotiate that the place wouldn't be burned to the ground? The Pope. There's no authority left. Rome had crumbled to the point the emperor fled. The only power then in all of the Western world was the Catholic Church. And so the Pope went out and negotiated a no-burn-it-down policy, okay, and got him to agree to it, okay? Now, um, so anyway, <clears throat> the, one of the things that Catholics um, got rid of, they had their own reformation saying, you know what, we don't agree with Luther, and we still think he ought to be burned at the stake. However, we got to admit we got some problems. And we need to clean things up, okay? Um, 
And so in doing that, they, they got rid of some things that had been terribly abused. Indulgences was one of them. And indulgences was a horrible thing. Um, that was the last straw with Martin Luther. But um, to simply put it, you could get forgiveness for sins you hadn't yet committed. Um, so you... And, and if you paid, I've seen when you guys sent us over, we went to, uh, we went to Wittenberg where Luther lived and taught. And they showed, a, you know, ancient, five, six hundred years old, but a thick chest with this um, kind of, a, you could sell, see a blacksmith had done it, but it's kind of a funnel shaped and then it, you know, went down to a slot and you threw your coins into that as an offering. And there was a specific guy sent from Rome by the name of John Tetzel. And he was a um, priest. And he was a fundraiser. And the money was going to finish St. Peter's Basilica. And he had uh, a stage, and he'd put this chest up there. And he had a little, like, advertisement jingle when into when into the coffer a coin doth ring another soul from purgatory doth spring okay so grandma is suffering in purgatory don't you love grandma come up here on the stage put some money in here get it out of purgatory early. Um, and so literally, people bought, I mean, I guess, and I'm not making this up, and I, I'm, not, I'm not embellishing this. If you know you're going to hang on a drunk Friday, you buy something, buy an indulgence on Wednesday. And you're pre-forgiven. That's another thing that's bled into some of Protestantism. When you're saved, all your sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. That's not biblical. So some of these ideas hang around. It's not the Catholic's fault. Okay? Um, indulgences, that's pretty well done away with. Uh, purgatory, of course, is another major um, doctrine. And I don't have time to go into it. We've got to quit here, yeah, pretty quick. Remember I mentioned a long time ago about Greek philosophy bleeding into Christianity. The idea of um, the, the body and so forth being uh, evil. After death, even Plato taught that there were, were fires beneath the earth where you were purged before you were able to enter to whatever his idea of heaven was. Okay? Catholicism came up with purgatory. It's a final cleansing kind of a thing which depends on what you did or didn't do in life. Um, it's not for rank, hopeless sinners. Again, remember venial sins? Purgatory is limited to the torment due for venial sins. And if you didn't get them taken care of in this life, you'll get them taken care of in purgatory. Okay? Now, purgatory, there's not a mention of anything like that um, in Scripture. 
anywhere. But it became a master fundraiser, seriously. Um, even if the original thinkers in Catholicism didn't mean it that way, it became that because the tales were told of grandma in flames or whatever. So light candles, give money, get her out. Um, no women uh, ordained uh, in, in ministry. Um, I don't know whether they'll move on that sometime, you know. Um, but that's something they get bombarded a lot by the secular world. Um, celibacy of priests, members of all the orders. About 450 um, is when a lot of monasteries got going. And the idea of vows, of primarily there were three major vows you made. Whether you ended up being a missionary, a priest, or went into one of the orders. Um, <coughs> The vow was of chastity, poverty, and obedience. You obeyed the leader of the monastery or the convent or whatever it was. Um, and that, again, was a failed experiment of we've we got to get out of the world so we can stay clean and holy, and it ended up. Then you have today, I can't remember the number, but there's somewhere up in the fives or six hundreds of different kinds of orders, Okay. But over the centuries, monastery after monastery after monastery and orders, Benedictine, Dominicans, Augustinians, Sisters of the Poor, you know, all these, almost all of them were new correcting abuses and corruption in the previous ones. And so they form a new one, make new rules, tighten down harder, and then that one would, that meant to cure corruption it got corrupt, so then a new one would come up. It's the same thing as Protestants always cooking up new denominations. Um, we now have United Methodist Church has been for who knows how long, how many centuries. But now you have that big split with them, and it's called now the um, uh, Global Methodist Church or United Methodist, okay? And it's over homosexuality and that division. But Nothing, it seems, stays pure. Um, you, there's a trajectory, and God's always coming along, you know, kind of reviving something else. Okay, um, that's a bad job <laughs> of trying to, th those, everything that I've tried to look at here is what sets Catholicism apart from general Protestantism and Russian Orthodox. Okay, so there's a lot here. Um, fast questions, but we better not have any fast questions. Um, it's, are the kids out in the hallway? Okay, if they're not well, they will be shortly. They'll be having, you know, sheetrock off the walls and everything else. So, okay, try to remember if we've got any questions for next week when we'll look at... Um, Eastern Orthodox. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this, that you're awfully merciful with flawed humans, and even in many cases, not all, doctrine's important. Truth is obviously important. But in many cases, Lord, even if our minds are fouled up and we don't necessarily think straight, you look at our hearts 
and there are plenty of people who maybe their heads are a bit off, but if their hearts aren't, that's what you look at. This is what the history of the church is. So I pray that you would keep us all. Give us safety as we go home uh, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.